There you go. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, if you would, uh, there'll be a Connect card uh, that will come up on the side. In your program, there's a card for us to connect with you. And so if you can uh, fill that out, that'll be great. And we'll talk about what to do with that here in just a little bit. Um, I'm really excited today because I have my good friends, uh, Dave and Jennifer Bell, with us from uh, Kenya. Uh, so let's give them a hand. And uh, many of you have helped uh, through prayer and financial support, and my wife Jennifer and I uh, were there uh, this uh, past July, and uh, we got a chance to see what good work you guys are doing and God's doing there, and so we're grateful for that. Um, They're on furlough, so uh, they kind of have a chance to have a few weeks to really work even more, I think, because you guys have been to tons of churches but uh, just a way for them to kind of say hi to us. So, um, Dave, I thought I'd just start with you, and why don't you just share with us a little bit? I know the focus uh, kind of the ministry is caring for abandoned and uh, orphaned uh, kids in Kenya. And so can you kind of tell us, like, how many infants uh, that you have right now and maybe kind of what, how you guys find them? How do you find the infants? Thank you. Uh, First, though, I want to thank the church family for partnering with us. Uh, it, we recognize very quickly, working in Kenya, that it takes much more than uh, finances. It takes a lot of prayer. So we're grateful to have a church family that we know is praying for us. So uh, We are currently, uh, with our infant rescue center, we currently have seven infants uh, that are at the house that are waiting for us to get back later this week. <laughs> uh, we've had as many as 12 infants at one time in the house, and luck, thankfully three of those were just adopted. Uh, one of them just went back home to his mom and dad. So... Uh, we have seven waiting on us. They come to us in a variety of ways. Uh, many of them have simply been cast out in the street. Uh, for whatever reason, they will leave the baby abandoned in the middle of the street. It will be found by a good Samaritan uh, who often will take it to the police, and the police in turn call us uh, to come and collect them. Uh, often the government will actually take infants away from children's homes that don't have the resources or the Uh, the knowledge of how to care for a newborn. So sometimes they'll be rescued out of existing homes and placed with us. So they they come to us in a variety of ways. And uh, I remember when we were there, one of the things that really touched me, they were talking about they had uh, found a child in one of the latrines, and they had pulled the child out and had cared for it. And so really uh, the least of these. Um, Jennifer, now... This thing doesn't work without you. I mean, I've known Dave for 20 years, and he's real mechanical, but he wouldn't run the house if it wasn't for you, so we know that. And uh, I was just amazed. You know, when I was there, I think there were 11 children altogether, nine uh, infants, and then their two children that we'll talk about here in a second. And um, I was just amazed at how, like, you got them all, like, in their place and organized. And, I mean, there was some crying, and that was just from me and Dave. But, I mean, the kids were, you know, pretty good. So can you kind of tell us what a daily task uh, or what your routine kind of looks like yeah. in a typical day? It's interesting. Um, as we think about typical, um, as all of you care for um, children in your own home, you know that things are different and you might plan something and then all of a sudden it changes. But um, 
for all of the caring for little ones, we have a little system in place. Um, we're able to know with a care plan, because we have all different ages, um, all of them are feeding different amounts, all of them are on different schedules, so we have to keep track of times and schedules. We actually have little baskets for each and every one of them that has the formula in their bottles in there, and then we have a great big whiteboard that has everybody's names, and we have to keep um, checking on what goes in and what comes out. <laughs> um, many of them come to us, they're very malnourished. Um, many of them have a lot of um, physical challenges, so we have to do physical therapy and um, the feeding and the changing, and it's just a constant rotation yeah, <laughs> on yeah. and on. Yeah, it, it is. It's a constant rotation. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have to do too many of the diapers, but otherwise it was all right. Now, Dave, I know another focus of the ministry is uh, kind of these uh, greenhouses that you build, and uh, I wondered if you could just talk about that a little bit. Sure. We have worked with many children's homes through the years. In addition to having the rescue center, we support a lot of children's homes, assist them, and a common uh, issue that they have raised with us is they don't have an ongoing income or ongoing way to feed the children. Uh, The food supply simply isn't there. So with these greenhouses that are they're roughly 25 by 50 feet, and we provide them to children's homes that have their own property. They own their own land, so we're able to build them a greenhouse. And in, during production time, these greenhouses will be producing upwards of 300 pounds of tomatoes a week, much more than the kids can eat, but it provides enough then beyond eating that they can sell to pay for medical supplies, school supplies. Uh, it is a great step in self-sustainability yeah. for the children's homes, and that's kind of our goal uh, in doing that, we can put these greenhouses up for around $2,000, uh, and they're good for many, many years. Uh, Twelve months out of the year, then they can be producing yeah. uh, some resources. So. Wow, 300 tomatoes in uh, you know in a week to be able to provide uh, pretty pretty amazing. Um, now, Jennifer, I know that uh, for you, uh, one of the greatest joys that you guys have kind of had uh, in these last uh, couple of years is uh, that you've actually adopted uh, a couple of little ones, um, Ethan and Selah. And, uh, you know, it's one thing for missionaries to be um, at a place and say, hey, we're caring for the orphans. It's another thing to actually say, hey, I'm going to actually adopt some abandoned kids or orphan kids. And so can you kind of share that story with us, their story, and how God kind of, I mean, you're young, but Dave's kind of old, you know what I mean? So um, how you did that. So, um, It's been interesting. Um, we've been in full-time ministry for 12 years, and we've been to a lot of different countries and um, seen a lot of need. Um, God's always placed on our heart to care for those who are in need, and it seems that the little ones um, seem to touch our heart more and more. Um, So as we were in Kenya and starting to serve and do different things, um, we were looking into adoption. And at that time, adoption was closed. Um, So we started even praying more, thinking, okay, you know, God, you placed this on our heart, but at the same time, it's not an option. So we weren't sure all what he was doing in that time. But after we'd been there for a few years, um, the doors were opened again uh, for adoption. And so we did our application, did all that fun stuff. Um, You're not supposed to know the children that you're adopting, so you put in your information, and then if a child's free for adoption, they put in theirs, and the adoption agency matches you. So in that part, we are blessed um, to be able to um, have Ethan and Selah. Ethan actually was born in a hospital and was abandoned there, 
And then Sayla was actually brought to the children's home gate. Um, she was just born and still wet, so she was brand new. So both of them um, have been abandoned. Um, we don't know any other parts of their families. But at the same time, it kind of continues to remind me of my life and how I was abandoned, how I was separated from God, my father, and how he has brought me back and um, all he has done in our lives and what a blessing it is to not only be a part of a family but God's family. And um, we are blessed for Ethan and Selah to be in our family. Yeah, yeah. He actually calls me Uncle Chris, so uh, I feel a little special uh, that way, so... Uh, Sayla just kind of smiles. But, uh, <laughs> now, uh, Dave, I just wondered if you could finally, I know that there's a dream that you guys have. Right now, uh, your ministry is in your home. And, I mean, you know, 12 kids, uh, the two of them, a couple caretakers. I mean, it's a full packed house. And uh, I know you have a dream, though, to eventually kind of have your own building. Uh, and let me see if I can do it right. I'm fluent in Swahili. So uh, here I go. Mahali Pamaisha. Perfect. Look at that. Perfect. Um, that's you can come over and teach our Kenyans how to speak it. <laughs> we, we do have, as you said, we're right now located in one building. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be looking at acquiring some property very soon, expanding into multiple buildings. Our dream for the little ones is to, uh, for each of them to be cared for by a, a biblical model of a family, a mother and a father figure. Uh, whether that's for a month or six months or a year, however long we have that baby in our care, we recognize that's what God intended. Uh, and the difference that we see in the even the youngest infants, the way they respond to a male and female figure in their lives is incredible. So that's our vision is to get these, uh, get these units where there will be a couple caring for four to six infants uh, until they're adopted. Uh, so that that is what we are praying for and will happen, you know, in the not too distant future, as well as having a place for the farm training program that we're working on, the greenhouse training. Uh, so that's the that's the long term, long term, hopefully not too long term goal. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, great. Yeah. Well, um, I'd just like to pray for you guys, if that's OK, and would ask you guys to all kind of join uh, uh, with me uh, in that. And uh when I look out at this crowd, uh, I realize that uh, many of you are adopted parents, and you know what that's like. And uh, what a gift that we get to partner with Dave and Jennifer to uh, be able to love on God's kids um, who, uh, they're not an accident. Um, they are a gift from God that we get a chance to partner with. So would you join me in praying for them? Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, thank you so much for Dave and Jennifer, and I pray, Lord, that you would uh, continue to bless our lives. I pray right now through the power and authority of Jesus Christ, God, that you would fill them with your strength. Um, we know, God, that they're on furlough. They've had a chance to be with family and going to different churches, but eventually, Lord, you'll call them back to what is their home, and uh, they'll be back into the routine of caring for those who people have stopped caring for. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to um, bless their lives, give them strength, um, be with both of them and Ethan and Selah. Uh, God, that you would protect them, that your angels would surround them as they fly back. 
and uh, that there would be a real sense, God, that they would know that we are praying for them, that we are interceding for them, and uh, that we are trying uh, the best we know how on this side um, to be able to partner with them so that your name would be made great uh, in Nairobi, Kenya. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you guys give a jar welcome to them again? Thanks. Chris, I'll just mention real quick, we're slipping out to go visit family, but we've got to mention earlier, there's a whole bunch of bracelets over there that are prayer reminders that we oh, okay. love for everybody to have. Yeah, they have their Thanksgiving today, which some of you know what that's like, so they'll be going off to do that. And uh, there's some bracelets that are over there, and John Lee will actually tell you about a way that we're going to actually give people a chance to connect today with that. So yes, I will. Go ahead. All right. Morning. How is everybody today? Good, good, okay. Welcome to the JAR. I'm John Lee. I have a few announcements for you today. First of all, I'd like to reiterate what Chris said about our connecting card. Uh, it's a connecting card that's in the program. Just fill it out and put it in. We won't stalk you or anything like that, but we do want to know some information about you. Um, and on the back is a prayer request. If you have anything that you want our prayer team to pray for, this is confidential. Be, feel free to Fill it out and uh, drop it in as the uh, offering bag goes by, and we'll take care of that. Also, there's a small invitation card. This is talks about our next four weeks here at the JAR, talking about unexpected Christmas. Uh, it's a little highlight of what Chris is going to be talking about the next four weeks, so please plan to attend this very special time of year. As Chris said, there's uh, um, some things over here by, about the Kenya ministry, um, and we have a cooler in the back called Soda Pop Sunday. Um, this is a way for us to uh, support the Kenyan ministry. If you can take your money that you'd usually buy on Soda Pop on Sunday today and drop it in that cooler back there, um, that would be greatly appreciated. If you're going to buy Soda Pop anyway, then still put your money in there. And um, you just have to spend a little more. Um, but we appreciate that. Along the same line, we have um, Morning Star Ministries uh, has uh, collected macaroni and cheese, a big wall of macaroni and cheese back there. We thank you for your generosity in supporting them. And also, um, Christian Ministries uh, provides meals for men. They have uh, uh, meals that they need from November 25th to December 2nd. They're still in need of about five meals. Uh, each meal will fill. Uh, uh, feed about 10 men, so if you or your small group is interested in um, providing that meal for those men, please uh, contact, yeah, your name, Mrs. Sutherland. There she is over there, uh, right there. She'll be happy to take your information and have you help um, the Christian ministry men. Also over here uh, on our table is Christmas stockings. We are collecting um, Christmas stockings and filling them for uh, less fortunate children in the community from toddler all the way up, I guess from newborn all the way up to 12 years of age. If this is something that you'd like to do, please get a stocking and put your name down and fill it up with small toys, uh, hygiene products, things that kids uh, would like to play with and not choke on, please, no small things, and uh, bring that back by December 2nd. Um, and drop it off. Some people have already brought them, off, brought them back and dropped them off behind the table, so you can bring them up before the 2nd, but just bring them back by December 2nd. And if you're interested in that, also contact Eric Gillette, um, and he has more information. 
Um, what's next? The grief. Yes. Can I have that? Because, yeah. Grief Share is on December 2nd. This is for people who um, are going through a tough time for the holidays. A lot of people um, during the holidays is a difficult time because of loss of family members. Um, and this is an opportunity for you to get together for support. It's a warm and educational time that um, will be had on December the 2nd after the second celebration. Um, there's a sign-up over at the resource table. Please sign up because lunch will be served, so we want to know how many people are coming. So if this sounds like something that you're interested in, uh, please look into it. Finally, sorry, the offering. If you're new here, please um, keep your wallets in your pockets. We're not interested in your money. If you're a partner in the JAR who's uh, committed to uh, financially supporting the JAR, we appreciate your donations today. Um, I'd like you to bow your heads and we'll have a short prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the abundant opportunities we have here in America. We thank you for the resources that we have. Um, we just ask that you help us to have a generous spirit, help us to support others. We thank you for this day and for the lovely weather. We ask you to be with us the rest of the day and throughout the week. In your name, amen. Well, today we are uh, concluding our uh, series, 40 Days in the Bible. And I know that for many of you, uh, this has been a, a real impactful series. Uh, maybe you were scared about uh, the Bible uh, or scared reading about it, and so it kind of got you over that, and some of you grew more. And I just want to challenge you uh, to keep on reading it. Um, and if you need a reading plan, we have some of those at the connections table. But to, uh, the way that you really grow uh, in the Christian faith is by connecting to the Bible. And uh, so we want to continue to encourage you in that. Today is kind of a review of everything that we've gone over over the past five weeks. So if you're new today, uh, you're going to get it all in five weeks. Uh, I'm sure you feel very discouraged that you weren't here all five weeks, but, uh, you know, you'll get it all today. And the question that I want us to look at is this question. How do I integrate uh, God's Word? How do I integrate the Bible into my life? How do I integrate it into all areas of my life? Now, uh, integrity uh, is one thing, and the opposite of integration is segregation. And we know what segregation is. We saw a, a horrible kind of focus of that in our country uh, for uh, many, many decades. And uh, segregation is where you separate a group uh, to be by themselves. And uh, segregation is when we segment our life. We don't look at our life as a whole, but we look at it as uh, these different specific areas. Um, many of you will be eating pie for Thanksgiving, so I have a pie chart here. And uh, this is called a segmented life. And in a segmented life, we place each one separately. They're not connected together. So there's my personal life, there's my church life, there's my work life, there's my home life, there's my sex life, and there's my social life. 
And they're all segmented. They're all separated from each other. This is a segregated life. Now, the problem with a segregated life is that it lacks integrity. If you go back to fifth grade math, what you'll remember is that the uh, word for integrity, the root word, is integer. An integer means to be a whole number or to be complete. And so really, our life shouldn't look segmented, but it should look integrated, and we'll show a picture of that, where integrity is in the middle, and it flows out into every area of our life. In our personal life, church life, work life, sex life, social life, it goes out and there is integrity. It is connected with all that we say and do. So the reality is, is that uh, you should be the same person that you are, uh, you know, when you're at home than when you are at church. And uh, you should be the same person when you're at church as you are when you are at work. And you should be the same person at work as you are when you sit down for your family Thanksgiving dinner. Um, Because some of you get mean and nasty at Thanksgiving dinner, don't you? So I'm trying to help you now not to do that. You don't want to be a segmented life. You want to have an integrated life. You want to be the same person you are regardless of what people you're with. Um, I had the opportunity this last week to go to the uh, Ball State football game. Cards won. Uh, We're going to a bowl and uh, I got an opportunity to go and be in one of the suites there. Now, I've never, I'm not suite worthy, just like I'm not country club worthy, but every once in a while, people in the church invite me to go and do things. And so I was there, you know, in the suite. And I was just wondering, uh, as I was standing there um, in the suite watching the game, I wondered how many of them were acting, uh, people that were in that room, were acting the same way, uh, while they were in that suite as they would the other. Because there were a lot of people, there was a real powerful guy who uh, owned the suite, and everybody was like up on him, you know, going, Ooh, buddy, how are you? How, how can I help you, you know? And I walk up there, and they're like, uh, this is my pastor, Chris. I'm like, hey, man, what up, you know? And uh, I'm sure I didn't have much impression, but I'm the same, hey, man, what up, you know, that's here at the church, too. And so that's the kind of life that we want to talk about today. How do you have an integrated whole life. You know, as your pastor, as someone who loves you, who cares for your growth and cares for your families, I want you to be a man of the Word, a woman of the Word, a person who's engaged in the Bible. So the question becomes, how do we do that? How do I become a person of integrity connected to the Bible? Well, first of all, you have to build on it. I must build on the Bible. In other words, you make the Bible the foundation of everything else in your life. You build on it. It becomes the rock of your life. Jesus told the story one day uh, about two men. One man was building a house, and another man was building a house. And the first man built his house upon a rock. And the second man built his house upon the sand. Now the reality is, the similarity in both of these stories is that both men were building. They're both building a house. But the foundation for each of those houses were very different. One was a rock and one was building on sand. Now, 
as life has it, a storm came up. And a storm hit and beat down on both of these houses. And the result was that the house that was built upon a rock, that its foundation was rock solid, it didn't fall down. But the house that was built upon shaky sand, when the storm came, same storm, when it hit, that house crumbled. And Jesus ends the story by saying this in chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine, that is the Bible, and puts them into practice is like the first man, the man who built his house on a rock. From birth to life, folks, we all face storms. Relational storms, financial storms, health storms. Every single one of us are hit by storms. In fact, you can't go through your life not being touched by a storm. Sooner or later, out of the blue, you get broadsided by a storm. And no one goes through life unscathed by not having a storm. And I'm confident of this, that there will be storms in this world, and there will be storms in your life. In fact, Jesus made a prediction. And when Jesus makes a prediction, you can take it to the bank. And his prediction was about the climate in our lives. Now, there is a person, usually on the weekly or the uh, nightly news, weekly or weekend, and they stand in front of a green screen. And they tell you about what the climate is going to be like. And the name of this person is what? Somebody said a liar over here. (laughs) They're not a liar. Meteorologist isn't a liar. It's a meteorologist or it's a uh, weather forecaster. And every once in a while, they stand in front of the screen screen and they'll say that it's going to rain tomorrow and it's going to hell the next day after that. But... Have you ever known a meteorologist to be wrong? Huh? Yeah. I heard a story in my research this week. In 1999, there was a meteorologist from Illinois who stood in front of one of these green screens and they predicted the temperature for the next day. You know how far they were off? 80 degrees. The prediction was that it was supposed to be 40, and this cold weather came in, and it was the coldest day in the history of Illinois. She was off 80 degrees. Guess what? She's no longer a meteorologist, yeah? They canned her. She's out of there. Now, here's the prediction of climate control that Jesus gave that's going to affect our lives. And ironically, it's in the exact same message where he told this story about two guys building homes. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow actually is going to bring enough worries 
of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This was Jesus' prediction. Trouble today and trouble tomorrow. Pretty simple. So what I'd like you to do, turn to the person beside you, wake them up if you have to, and I would like you to say this to them. You have 100% of trouble today. Okay? Encourage them. Uh, You have 100% of trouble today. Folks, the reality is that every single one of us is going to face storms in our lives. And the question then becomes, what are you going to build your life upon? Are you going to build your life upon a rock, or are you going to build your life on shifting sand? Jesus said, again, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the man who built his house on the rock. Friends, if you build your life on this book called the Bible, it's a book of truth. And truth doesn't change. If something was truthful, really true, a thousand years ago, it's true today. And if it's true today, it's going to be true a thousand years from now. Now, opinion changes all the time. Popular culture, tradition, election predictions. Just think about that. How many people... No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just joking. That'd be really horrible. How many of you voted for Romney? How many voted for Obama? How many didn't vote? You know, and all of a sudden, you'd look around, you'd be like, oh, I really liked that person before, but I hate him now. You know what I mean? Just because of one vote, you know? But anyway, remember there were all these predictions of who was going to win and who's not going to win. And some of the winners didn't win and some of the losers didn't lose. You know, it just happens that way. But if you build your life, not on popular culture, not on opinion, not on prediction, not even your emotions, but if you build it on something that is rock solid, built to last, then when the storms come, folks, this doesn't change. It doesn't change. On the other hand, if you build your life on on shifting sand, on someone's opinion, on whatever happens to be popular, whatever the world says is right, then when the Storms come, which they will, you're going to crumble. You're going to fall. And that is the foundation. I think many of us uh, really need to be able to say, God, I'm going to build my life on this book even if I don't understand it. There is a lot in this book, folks, that I don't understand. In fact, there's a lot in this book I don't like. But again, it does not mean that I don't say, God, Even if I don't like it, it doesn't mean that it's not true and it doesn't mean that it can't impact my life. Because this book is the most popular, the most precious, and it has the most power. Why? It has the power to change lives. It changed my life. It changed many lives of people in this place. So first of all, you have to build on it. Secondly, you have to feed on it. You've got to feed on the Bible. The Bible actually uses many different words to talk about spiritual food. Um, The Bible is often described as water, as the milk, as the meat of spiritual life. So that everything that you need for sustenance in your life is connected 
with this book. Because just like you need physical food for your body to be physically strengthened, you need spiritual food for your body to be spiritually strengthened. Because it really doesn't matter where you're at on the spiritual spectrum this morning. Maybe you're here for the first time and you're just checking this whole God thing out. Maybe you've been walking with God for a long time. The reality is, folks, it's kind of like the the slogan of the why. You have a body and you have a soul. And you have to decide what you're going to feed each one of those. So, for example, uh, if you want to feed your, your spirit, you feed it on the Word. Because, just like with physical food, you would not want to go without eating very long. Like some of you will eat this Thanksgiving much, much more than you need to. And if you're a guy, you'll wear a shirt like this so that you can just kind of unbutton the top button. Now, if you're a female, this is what I know because I have learned this, that you have what is called fat pants. Fat pants are pants that you wear because you think you're going to eat a lot for a little while. Now, I'm not saying anyone here is fat. I'm just saying that some of us have fat pants, you know what I mean? And we wear those. Now, if you get mad and upset with me, don't get mad with me. My wife told me that there are special pants that women have just for that. Guys just flip the thing. You know, you put the shirt over and you let it out a little bit. Now, you might be sitting there right now going, what does this have to do with what you're talking about? This is what it has to do with. Folks, if you were a contractor of a construction company and you had guys out there to work, you would not put them out there if they hadn't eaten in a week. And if you were in the military and you were getting ready to send some guys into a particular battle, you would not say, hey, you don't have to eat for two days. Because you know it's when we eat, when we feed upon things, that it actually gives us strength. The Bible says that we're all building. And if you want to build a healthy life, you've got to feed upon God's Word. You know, one of the things, though, that I found that is different is that eventually you'll get full on Thanksgiving and you'll say, that's enough. But what I found with God's Word is as I feed on it, the more I feed on it, the more I connect with it, actually, the hungrier I get. I want more of God. I want more of Him in my life, in my marriage, in my uh, relationship with my kids because it's healthier that way. The more that I taste and see that the Lord is good, the hungrier that I actually get. So I need to be feeding on God's Word. Now, a verse that we looked at in verse 1, or in week 1, is this verse in uh, Colossians 3.16. And uh, let's go ahead. I know you've memorized it already, but let's read it together, okay? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly. Let it move into you. Let it take residence in you. So the question becomes then, how do I feed on the Bible? Well, the first way that I feed on the Bible is I receive it with my ears. Kind of a review from from week one, but I want you guys to get this. I receive it with my ears. In other words, I listen to it. So how do I do that? How do I receive it with my ears? Well, as someone who is a pastor, this may sound weird because you're like, yeah, you want job security, right? But I'm telling you, 
the best way that you can hear God's Word is coming here each Sunday. And the reason why I want you to come here on Sunday is because I know that it will transform and change your life. I'm not saying that I do anything, but God works together in a community. The best way to hear the Word of God is to come to church. Now, you can listen to it on a CD. You can listen to it uh, on an iPod. uh, You can uh, listen to the radio of a pastor. You can watch someone on television with polyester pants and big hair if you want, you know, uh, whatever you want to do. But nothing beats gathering with God's family and growing together. For example, all of you probably will eat at a Thanksgiving dinner. And the reality is, you don't have to go there. We have technology now. You could stay at home in your PJs, have them set up a camera of everyone that's there, and you could have Thanksgiving with them. But that would just, you know, it wouldn't be the same experience, would it? It would totally not be the same thing. And the reason why you want to go to Thanksgiving dinners is because you don't want other people to talk about you. I mean, that's the truth of it, right? But you don't have to go. But isn't it so much richer and fuller when you're there with the family and you see Aunt Sally bring that nasty potato salad that she brings every time and you watch your dad eat it and he always goes, oh, it's wonderful. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about being there with the family that you can't get if you stayed at home and you just watched the family on videotape. So we put God's words in our ears. The problem is, for many of us, is that we forget as soon as it comes into our ears. Do you realize that 95% of what I'm saying to you right now, if you just listen to it, that's why we have you write things down and circle things, but if you just listen to it, 95% of it you will forget within 72 hours. I love my job. I mean, think about that. In 72 hours, 95% of what I've said, if you just listen to it, you're going to forget. And so the reality is, you know, how do we do something more? Well, not only do we hear it with our ears, but we read it with our eyes. Folks, why do you think God gave us this book? Not just so you can put it on a shelf and for it to collect dust. I read a study this week that the average American, just ask the person beside you, give, give your guess, but how many Bibles does the average American have in their home? you got five seconds. Tell the person beside you. The answer is four. Four Bibles. Folks, just having a Bible in your house does not necessarily mean that your life is going to be blessed. You've got to have this in here if you want your life to be changed. So pick up a Bible reading plan and start reading. It doesn't have to be uh, big, long passages, just a few verses each day. A third way that you feed on the Word of God is I research it with my hands and with my mouth. Now, researching is what Bible study is. There's two different things. There is reading the Bible and studying the Bible. When you read the Bible, you read the Bible. And when you study the Bible, you study the Bible. So how do you study the Bible? You study the Bible by having a piece of paper 
and a pen or a pencil, and you write things down as you're reading it. And the second thing you do is that you share that information with other people. Because you don't grow on an island. You grow as there are people around you. Have you ever had this experience before? You open up the Bible and you're reading it and you're like, I have no idea what this says. And then all of a sudden I'll say, hey, why don't the two of you and Tim, you and and Lisa, let's all sit down and let's read this together. And then all of a sudden Tim starts sharing something or Lisa does and all of a sudden I get it. You see, that's why small groups are so important and why we want everyone to be in a small group. You should sign up today because it's the way that you're going to grow the most. Use your hands and use your mouth to study the Word of God. A fourth way to feed yourself is I reflect on it with my mind. I reflect on it with my mind. I don't just read it and maybe talk about it and think, uh, you know, and go like, hey, nothing happened. But I actually then spend some time meditating on it. Now, again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Meditating is not, oh, bring me some meaning to the Bible. Got nothing. You know what I mean? No. Meditating is simply saying, hey, I'm going to look over this again and again and again throughout the week. Uh, One of the things that I do, there's a uh, passage of Scripture in Philippians. It's called the fruits of the Spirit. And it says that the Holy Spirit was within you, just like we talked about last week, that you should produce fruit, that these things would come out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And sometimes what I'll do to meditate on God's Word, I'll just take one of those words, love, and throughout the day I'll think about how God loves me and how I need to love other people. Or if it's patience, I'll think about how God loves me and how I need to be patient with my wife. You know what I mean? Or whatever that is. But you, you take something and you meditate on it. You connect with it. That's when I reflect on it with my mind. The third way, or the fifth way, the final way, is I remember it with my heart. I remember it with my heart. There's a difference remembering in your mind and remembering in your heart. We, when we want it in our hearts, we memorize it. For instance, when uh, you went ahead and decided that you wanted to get a driver's license, you had to go and you had to read that little BMV book, right? And you read that enough and you had to actually memorize some of that stuff because you know you knew you were going to have a test on it. Well, in the same way, God says, I'm not wanting you to memorize because of a test. I want you to memorize it, though, because it will make you safe. We want people to take those tests because it makes them safe drivers, at least most of them, you know. And so we memorize it. We allow it to be a part of our heart. Now let me show you kind of what a visual image of this looks like. And I'm going to have my good friend uh, Frank Chandler to come up here. And uh, Frank's going to pour me... Uh, a little refreshment here. And uh, this is just a regular glass, and Frank's going to pour some water. Didn't Frank do good? Let's all give Frank a hand. And uh, this, this water right here represents uh, your soul. And this tea bag right here represents the Word of God. Now, if I hear the Word of God, it's like me putting it in here one time. Now, do you guys notice much difference there? 
Not much at all, right? But if I hear it and then let me say, let me read it, and then let me kind of focus on it a little bit more, maybe write down some things, and then if I um, actually memorize a passage of Scripture, does it look like it's changing now? Yeah. Because all of a sudden, uh, what you find is that the water is absorbing the color and the flavor and the aroma of the tea. And that's what the Word of Christ, when it dwells in you richly, looks like. All of a sudden, you take on that aroma, that flavor, that look of Christ. And you begin to absorb it into your life. Now, we'll talk about that here in just a second again, but let's go on to the next point of how we integrate our life. We do it by, I must live by it. I must live by it. Folks, the Word of God is not only food for your soul, but the Word of God also is the standard for living. See, all of you choose a standard of living. You might choose your own. Um, you might choose uh, your spouse's or you know, whatever, but you choose a standard of living. And the Word of God sets a standard of living that you can judge everything else by. The Bible puts it this way. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but who meditates on the Word of God. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means that if you want your life to be blessed, folks, you don't build your life on the counsel of the ungodly of the world. You don't build it on what the world thinks, but you meditate and you focus on what God thinks about you. It's the Word of God that will give you hope in a crisis. It's the Word of God that will give you strength when you're weak. It's the Word of God that will comfort you when you're in despair. I was just talking to a woman last week, and she came up and she told me, I just wanted you to know that my mom has been given two weeks to live. She just buried her son about six months ago, six to ten months ago. And now she's going through this big, like, valley of despair. And so I asked her, I said, well, well, how are you getting through this? And she said, because I'm doing my best to read and live it out. I want this to be my foundation. It's the Word of God that will give you wisdom when you're confused. It's the Word of God that will help you to resist temptation when it comes. It's the Word of God that will give you guidance when you're looking for direction. Just uh, last week, I remarried a couple who had gone through a horrible, painful divorce. All kinds of difficult things that had happened to their marriage. And looking on the outside, I think everyone thought they'll never get back together again. They'll never be able to connect it. And so he went off and he started connecting at a church and she started connecting at a church and they both started kind of connecting with the Bible and reading it. And God reconciled their marriage together and now they're living it out together. Folks, that doesn't happen unless you have a foundation that you're building something on. The Word of God is the most powerful, life-changing form that can happen in one's heart. In fact, uh, one of our Scripture verses says it. Let's read it together. It'll come up on the side screen here. 
It'll come up on the side screen here. There it is. See how that's power when you do that. Okay, let's read this together. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is about hiding the word in your heart. And the reason we memorize uh, the, the word of God and why we want to know it in our heart is not the, so that then we can be like Mr. Goody Two-Shoe Christian. Oh, look, I know six verses. Whoa, aren't I good? Let me tell you something. For the Lord... You know, and people are like, what? What are you talking about? Who cares? You know? No, the reason why you want to have it hidden in your heart is so that you don't sin or fall short or fall away from the God who knows you best and loves you most. You know, it's important to hide the Word of God in your life because it's there that when it's not there, it's still there. You ever notice that before? You're talking with somebody who's going through some tough times and you, don't, you can't remember a scripture that would encourage them. Or uh, maybe you need some wisdom in your life or maybe you're being tempted by something in the workplace and all of a sudden there's no Bible around. You know, you can't run and find one. That's why you want the Bible hidden in your heart because when you're tempted, when you're going through something, when someone else is, you'll know how to share it with them and to give them hope. That's why it's important to hide the Word of God in your heart. Now, I want to bring us back to our picture uh, here of this uh, water and this tea bag. And um, just want to ask you, you know, it's only taken a couple of minutes, but would you say that there's been any change? Here, some of you are like, I have no idea, I can't see it. Would you say there's any change? Yeah. It's changed a lot. Just a couple of minutes. And this water now has absorbed the tea. The flavor, the aroma, it's absorbed all of that. In fact, uh, it's not just absorbed it, but you wouldn't call that water anymore, would you? You wouldn't call that No rational person would. You'd say that's tea. And in the same way, when we put the Word of God in our life more and more and more, it changes our identity. It changes who we are. And all of a sudden, when the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, when it dwells in you richly, it changes you. You become a better parent. You become a better spouse. You become a better worker. You become a better friend. Because now all of a sudden, you're not trying to do it on your own. You're not just a soul of water. But now you have been changed and your soul is looking so much more like the author of this book that you're reading. Now let's look at the fourth thing. You know, often we have to grow. And the fourth thing to have integrity in your life is I have to grow through it. I have to grow through the Bible. How do I grow through the Bible? Now the Bible is often referred to as a seed that is planted in your heart. And when the truth is planted in your heart, and if it's planted in good soil, it produces fruit. If you remember from last week, we actually talked about the fact that God doesn't just want you to be faithful. He wants you to be fruitful also. He wants you to bear fruit. One of our memory verses talked about the way we bear fruit is by having an open heart. Here it is. 
It says, open my eyes, the eyes of my heart, that I may see wonderful things in your law. There are wonderful things that are in God's Word, but you have to have eyes that are open. And God's the only one, sometimes, that can open your eyes. Now, the key word in that verse, if you want to circle it, is the word open. You have to be open to it. It means to be receptive, to be open, so that I'm becoming a man of the Word, I'm becoming a woman of the Word, and I'm open to it. Now, this means even when I don't like it, I still follow it because it is the best thing for me. Now, Jesus told a story one day about this concept about soil. And soil is very important for anything to grow. And he tells the story of a man who went out and he planted seed. And again, seed is the Word of God. And he says as this man went out and he planted different seed, it fell on different soil. The first soil that it fell on was a hardened soil. And this represents a closed mind. A closed mind. You know, sometimes we don't even give God a chance to talk to us because our minds are already made up. I know what I want, this is what I want, and our hearts become hardened. I don't want to hear what God has to say about my boyfriend. I like my boyfriend, so I don't want to hear what you have to say, God. I don't want to hear what God has to say about debt. I don't want to hear about what God has to say about sex. I don't want to hear about what God has to say about this or that because I've already made up my mind. I know what I'm going to do. That's a close mind. And if you've ever walked on a, a, a path before and you walk on it time and time and time and time and time again, pretty soon what you find is it becomes hardened. It's a hardened path. And that's the way a lot of people's minds are. They get so narrow-minded and they're so hard-minded that they're not open to anything. So the action plan that you need for a hardened kind of uh, uh, heart is to cultivate an open mind. To cultivate an open mind. If I'm going to let God's truth really live in me and change my life, I have to cultivate an open mind. Now, the second type of attitude that we can have, and we can have all these attitudes in a day. We can have a hard, kind of closed mind attitude. The second one is a shallow soil, and this is a superficial mind. It's a superficial mind. Sometimes we react superficially as we're reading the Bible. We'll read the Bible or we'll hear it on Sunday and we'll look. You'll, you'll come up to me. You'll shake my hand. You'll go, oh, Chris, man, that was good. Way to go, Chris. That was a good message. I really appreciated that. And uh, by the time you got to the parking lot, you're like, I have no idea what he said. And you're kicking your kid and you're you know, kicking your dog. And don't kick your kids. If you do, just tell them you go to the bridge, okay? But, you know, kick, you're kicking something, you're slamming something, you're yelling something, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know what I mean? Don't send me letters about the bridge comment. I'm just joking. I know the bridge faster. I like him. Go bridge. Okay, that's enough of that. All right. But we get so excited, we get real pumped up, and then we leave, but we just still are kind of superficial. So the action step, because you don't want to be superficial, do you? Nobody I know wants to be superficial. So here's the second step. I must take time for God's Word. I must take time for God's Word. Folks, if there are no roots, there'll be no fruits. You've got to have good, solid roots if you want to produce fruits in your life. So you've got to make some time to be in God's Word. We have a tool. If you've never read the Bible before, that's over at the resource table. It's called Five Minutes in the Bible. 
It shows you where to begin reading, and you can do it five minutes a day, and uh, your life will be changed. A third soil is the weeds, and this soil represents a preoccupied mind. My mind is preoccupied. In other words, the seed that God gives is the truth, and it's planted in my heart, and I say, oh, yeah, I'm ready to do it, and you start to grow, and you really start going, but then the weeds come, and they begin to choke you out. Worry, uh, busyness, money, your job, all these things, and pretty soon you get preoccupied with other stuff, and you can't hear what God's trying to tell you. So what's the action step here? I must eliminate distractions. I must eliminate distractions. You know, I pastored for 20 years, and the greatest sin that I found with church folks, people in the church, is not when they get addicted to drugs, it's not when they're immoral, it's not when they're mean or nasty or rude or they're just evil, it's none of those things. But the number one sin that I found is busyness. People just get so focused on things that they think are important that really aren't that important. And we come to God, and what we have for Him is our leftovers. We go, hey God, i got 30 seconds before my next appointment. Hurry up, give me something. Woo, got it. Then you go. And that's not it. This isn't going to work. That's the soil with weeds, a preoccupied mind. And finally, Jesus says there's a fourth kind, and it's a willing mind, a willing mind. Now this represents the good soil. This is where the seed of truth is planted in your brain and you are allowed to grow and develop and you produce fruit. A willing mind says, God, I'm ready to learn. I may not know everything in this book. I'm kind of scared. Actually, I'm here for the first time. I don't even know where to begin. But God, I'll start doing it. And as I do that, God, if you want to tell me something, I'm open to it. Just let me know. And the whole focus for this is that you would cooperate with God that you would cooperate with what God says. The fifth thing, and we'll finish these two up real quick, is I must act on it. I've got to act on what God's Word says. James 1, 22, which we learned earlier in the series, says this. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. What's it say? Do what it says. Yeah, do what it says. Folks, if I go to church and I let it come in one ear and out the other, um, I am just being, I'm I'm living a life of self-deception. If I think I can just take down a few notes and, oh, I got it, God, that's that's not it. The reality is, folks, um, the parts of the Bible that you believe, you do. You don't, it's with anything in life. No one forces you to do something. You only do the things that you believe. And it's the same way with the Bible. You only do the things that you really believe. Here's the last thing. I must trust in it. I must trust in God's Word. Now, folks, why can I trust in this? Because God is never going to guide you in the wrong direction. Any of you ever had friends guide you in the wrong direction before? You don't have to raise your hand because they might be here, okay? Yeah, I've had friends that have guided me way off before. You probably had well-meaning friends 
kind of steer you the wrong direction. Folks, God will never steer you in the wrong direction. You can always trust Him. If He tells you to go a certain way, you go that way because He knows what's best for you. It's the right way. This is our scripture verse uh, for this week. And it will come up on the side screen. Let's read it together. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Have you ever been in the dark before? Maybe some of you are you're in the dark right now. You might be sitting there saying, I don't have the slightest clue of what I'm supposed to do about this relationship. I don't have the slightest clue of what I'm supposed to do in my job. I don't have the slightest clue of how I'm supposed to get out of this debt. I don't have the slightest clue of what I'm going to do for the next couple years of my life. I'm just confused. Well, what do you do when you're in the dark? What do you do? You flip on the light. That's what my five-year-old Jordan does all the time. She's scared of the dark, and so she doesn't like the dark, so she flips on the light. And so the next time you're confused and you feel overwhelmed, here's a scripture verse for you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. He will give you light for your path. And I was thinking about how we were going to end this whole deal. And the big ending is going to be the baptism that we're going to have in just a few minutes. So if you could go down to the swimming pool, that'd be great. But I was thinking about, you know, we've spent 40 days trying to build a better foundation on God's Word. And I was like, well, you know, some people are like, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, put it, put it back on the shelf. Or you could make a commitment today. And then I thought, oh, we could have a card and everybody could sign a card. And I was like, well, I don't want, you know, people might freak out about a card or they won't do it anyway. But I was just thinking that as we close this last song, that we could not, we could make a stand. Like we, we could actually stand. And we could say, for me and for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. For me, I'm going to try to stay connected to God's Word. I may not do it all the time, but if I miss a day, I'm just going to get right back into it. Because it can change your life, folks. It really can change your life. It changes your eternity. It does. And so I want to challenge you to keep doing your quiet times, do your Bible study, stay connected to God's Word. And while we do that, let's take a stand now as we close with our final song. So what can I say? What can I do? Offer this 
So I pray, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill people with the determination that when tomorrow morning comes or before they go to bed tonight, that they might engage in your word. And God, that there would be transformed lives in this place because as they give themselves to you and as they seek your words, that lives are changed. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ in your life, I would just invite you to just kind of pray this uh, prayer after me in your words, but, but just be able to pray. Jesus, I give my life to you. I 
turn away from the things that I know are wrong and I turn towards you. I want you to be the first in my life. I want you to be the foundation. I want you to be the rock of my life. I don't know everything, God. I'm just kind of taking a chance, but I'm trusting you because you're the one who knows us best and loves us most. We pray in Jesus' name. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up. And uh, if you're new, first time, we have bags at the guest connections table. Pick up a bag and have a great week. We'll see you poolside.